If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, where uh, we're going to be looking at husbands and honoring your wives, which is the last message we're going to deliver directly at the husbands. And then after that, it's other people's turn to get it. A man and a wife were having some strife in their marriage and were giving each other the silent treatment. Uh, later in the week, the man realized that he needed to catch a, he needed to get up at 5 a.m. to catch a business flight to another city. The problem was, is that the alarm was on his wife's side of the bed and he often slept through it. And not wanting to be the first to speak and break the silence and lose, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. and put it on her pillow. Well, the next morning, the man woke up at 9 a.m. alone in bed. And he was furious that his wife hadn't woken him up and that he had missed his flight. And he was angry and decided to find her and give her a peace of mind he couldn't afford to lose. And then he noticed a piece of paper on the nightstand next to his bed, which read, it's 5 a.m. Wake up. Now, stories like that are funny because there's some truth in them, isn't there? Many couples, even couples who profess to be Christians, resort to junior high tactics in dealing with their problems. Behavior like this, though, comes from true root causes. All marriage problems come from two root causes. One. Either the husband isn't loving his wife, like the Bible says, and or the wife isn't loving her husband, like the Bible says. And that's just how it is. And that's why we're going back to the Bible. We're finding out what does it mean to be a Christian husband and what does it mean to be a Christian wife and what does it mean to be a child who professes to know Christ and what does it mean to be a parent? And so we're looking at all of these different aspects of God's design for the family. So far, we have looked at the foundations of marriage from the earlier chapters of Genesis. Then we looked at last week, one of the greatest texts in the whole new Testament addressing husbands, which is Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 through 33. We have learned that God created men and women, women to be different emotionally and physically and to function in different roles in both the home and the church. We have learned that husbands need to lead their wives. They're the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. And that does not mean that the husband gets to bark orders at his wife and uh, be an authoritarian or be unkind or be mean. It merely means that the husband is responsible for more than the woman, that he is under a greater burden than the woman to be the spiritual leader of his home, to be responsible for his wife and his children and his whole household to protect them and provide for them and take care of them to make sure that they are encouraged to walk in godliness with the Lord. And so being a servant leader is what it means to be the head. We learned from Mark 10:45 that Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And that is what it means to be a husband. 
And so this morning, we want to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. So if you have your Bible, look there and follow along as I read. Peter writes, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, in this verse, we encounter Two exhortations and one warning that every husband needs to know. Every husband to be needs to know. Every wife needs to know so she can pray for her husband. And anyone needs to know who might ever give encouragement to someone who is a husband. And anyone who is responsible, which is all believers, to speak up for the truth in the world of what it means to be a Christian husband. Because the world has forgotten. The church, for the most part, has forgotten. And so the first thing we learn from this text is that husbands are to be students of their wives. And if you look at verse 7, you'll see that the text says, You husbands in the same way. Now, just stop there for a moment. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you're cruising along and all of a sudden you run into an in the same way, you need to stop and ask yourself in the same way as what? And so we need to find out in the same way as what. And to do this, you go back into the context, turn all the way back to 1 Peter 2, verse 13, which is the beginning of a road that starts in 2.13. And then it continues on past our passage to the end of chapter 3. But look at verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. And we see this command here. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority. And then he goes on to talk about governments and their purpose and why we need to do it. But the whole section is about submitting to the governing authorities. Now, what's interesting about this is the governing authorities at that time were very wicked, much worse than ours. Rome was a very tough government. You either did what they said or they cut you down with the sword. They crucified you. They fed you to wild beasts. They dipped you in tar and lit you on fire. And so in many cases, they are very oppressive. They were very wicked. They practiced idolatry and all sorts of immorality. And yet here, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the lead apostle says, submit yourself to every human institution every governing authority you submit yourself to that and that is quite the exhortation and if you know what first peter is about it's about suffering these people were suffering at the hands of the government that peter's saying submit yourself to Now, if you look down, you'll find another section of roads, starting in verse 18 of chapter 2, where we read, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Here's the next section of road. Not only we all of us are to submit to every human institution, but we also have 
this exhortation for slaves to submit to masters. Now, you might be sitting, well, we don't have slavery anymore. Uh, Have you ever heard of the Civil War? Uh, You know, those kind of things. But actually, there's quite a few parallels between servants and employees and masters and employers because many servants at that time were voluntary servants. This is how it worked. You couldn't support yourself, so you would go to somebody and say, I will work for you. And you take care of me. That's what it means to be an employee. And so many of the people were like this. Granted, some were forced to be slaves, but others voluntarily uh, were slaves. But no matter what, the principle applies to anyone who voluntarily places themselves under the authority of another person. But notice that Peter describes that. Slaves are to do this even to masters who are unreasonable. Now, what's interesting is this word unreasonable means perverted. It's it's the Greek word scolios, which is the word we get scoliosis from, which is the curvature of the spine. Submit even to masters who are crooked, wicked, perverse. Now, when you tell people to start submitting to wicked governments, oppressive governments, carnal governments, wicked, crooked masters, what are they going to do? What would you do? Well, you bone up for a little while, maybe, and then you start complaining. And then you start grumbling. You don't know how my boss is, and you don't know what the government made me do. They're taking all my money and taxes and building permits and, you know. You start complaining. And some professing Christians even go so far as just flat out just rebelling. You know, they lie on their time card at work. They pad their expense account. They cheat on their taxes. They refuse to pull building permits or obey the traffic laws. And the list goes on and on and on. Of course, they justify it because, oh, well, these rules are they're unreasonable. They're just, they're unjust people. They're, they're hypocrites. They're, they're partial. They're taking bribes or whatever you want to call it. And they try and rationalize it. But what does God say here? Submit, submit. And people have a problem with that. And they think, oh, are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. I'm telling you that God wants you to submit. And you say, well, how could you ever expect me to do that? Because of verses 21 through 25. That's why Peter here pulls out the trump card and he says, by the way, Jesus was reviled and did not revile in return. Jesus was treated unjustly, but he didn't seek revenge. Jesus, in the words of Paul in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, submitted himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Oh, he was perfect, but he submitted. They were wicked and he submitted. He was unjustly accused, unjustly tried, unjustly scourged, whipped, beat, crucified, All of it was wrong, and he voluntarily submitted himself to that for you. Peter's whole point is, don't give me this how hard it is. You've never submitted to the point that Jesus did. 
So we are to submit to the governing authorities. Not only that, we are to submit as employees to employers or anybody we voluntarily place ourselves in submission to, whether it be a coach or anybody. Then he gives us Jesus, the ultimate example. Then in three, one in the same way, in the same way, what you wives, you wives, what be submissive to your own husbands. And we're going to get into this next week. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Not next week, two weeks from now. Husbands, make sure your wives come. Yeah. So then he talks to wives for six verses. Then when we get to verse seven, you husbands in the same way. Now, do you see the road? You see the road? Everybody to all the human institutions and governing authorities, slaves to masters, just like Jesus to death on the cross, just like wives to husbands. So husbands are to submit yourself to God's word and love your wife. Like the word of God says, that's his whole point. And what does the word of God say? Look at verse seven again, a little bit farther on live with your wives in an understanding way. And this word understanding way, it means according to knowledge. It's the word gnosis. It's it's you live with her according to um, knowledge gained from your relationship. That is, don't go guessing. In other words, be a student of your wife. Let me just give you a little test right now, husbands. I know your wife's here, but it's good to have a test like this sometimes. Do you know what your wife's shoe size is? Do you know what your wife's dress size is? What size blouses she wears? Do you know what her favorite colors are? Do you know what her favorite restaurant is? Would your wife rather go for a walk and talk or go shopping? By herself with a credit card. (laughs) Would your wife rather go out to dinner and a show or would she rather stay home and invite some people over for dinner? Does your wife like flowers or she rather spend time together? Are you a student of your wife? Do you know these things? And if not, it betrays something. You don't know your wife very well. You see, one of the things that happens is that husbands often love their wives in a way that makes them feel loved. They think to themselves, you know, if somebody did this for me, I would love this. And so they love their wives that way. The problem is, is they never stop and ask their wife how she wants to be loved. Face it, guys, your wife doesn't need that many woodworking tools. I mean, my wife has never used the cement mixer I bought for her (laughs) or the three horsepower plunge router. Not once. And so I've had to use them. (laughs) Now, if you're going to be a husband who lives with your wife in an understanding way, then you need to become a student of your wife. The phrase live with is a present participle, which means you need to always and continually be living with. You never get to stop Being a student of your wife, it's something that has to be ongoing because your wife is going to change. Circumstances are going to change. And so you have to keep studying and studying. Your wife is like one of those, you know, classic sports cars. 
They need to constantly tinker with. And if you don't, they conk out. They quit running. This means giving her what she likes. It means meeting her specific needs. Now, granted, we all need to give our wives everything the Bible commands us. That's a given. But there are a lot of things that you can do for your wife outside the realm of scriptures, which are her personal preference, her personal likes, the things that are her specific needs. And you need to make sure as a husband, you find out what those things are so you can love your wife in that way. When I was first married, I was your typical clueless male brainwashed by Hollywood. I thought that, you know, if you ever buy a woman a bouquet of roses, I mean, it's just like romantic jet fuel. You know, I thought, you know, that's what you do, isn't it? I mean, that's what I see on the movies, and it seems to work there. So, you know, we were both going to college full time. We were both, you know, poor and scrimping along. And I saved up enough money and, you know, spent all this money on some flowers that were going to be dead in a couple days. I mean, they were dead when I got them. They just looked good. (laughs) And so I think, okay, okay. You know, I'm going to get her these things. And so, you know, I show up and hi, honey, some roses. And she looks at him and goes, oh, how nice. Thanks. Is that it? You know, I thought I was going to get a little more mileage than that. And it was just kind of this, you know, thanks. I thought that 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 wasn't a good investment. You see, my problem was I wasn't loving her in an understanding way because I didn't know her that well. I wasn't a student of my wife. But later, after diligent study and research, I noticed a pattern. You know, every once in a while we would go for a walk and, you know, we'd walk around the block or whatever and talk. And man, for sometimes two, three days after that, she would just be, you know, walking around the house. You know, she'd be pampering me and feeding me grapes and fanning me. (laughs) Not that last part. But it finally struck me. My wife wants to talk to me more than smell the roses. And I thought, and it's cheaper. (laughs) Now, today, after having studied my wife for over 20 years, I can tell you she would rather talk to me and get the roses. But if she can only pick one, the roses go, the talking stays. Husbands, I don't pretend to be a student of your wife. That is your job. So don't think your wife is like mine. She may not be. You have to study your own wife. You have to talk to your own wife. You have to be a student of your own wife and find out your own wife's particular needs and likes and interests. And man, this can be painful. It's painful standing in the women's clothing department and still maintain sanctification, you know, after 20 minutes. And there's been many days I've been there, Lord, you know, I'm trying to be cool, be godly. And uh, I found ways to, you know, make use of my time. I, you know, I, I finally decided, you know, if I'm going to love my wife, you know, I might want to buy her something someday. So I'm going to look at things that I think look good. And then I'm going to ask her if she likes them. I'm going to find out. So when she's looking for clothes, I say, do you like this? No. Okay. You like this? No. Too fuzzy, you know, too, whatever, too low cut, too, whatever. You know, so I start asking her, but this, 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 and you know what? I'm, I'm batting. I'm, I've got about a 
60 or 70% keep rate. Now, if you don't know what a keep rate is, you just need to repent. But for those of you who haven't been students or married very long, keep rate is this. You decide you're going to do something great for your wife and you're going to go get her a dress or, you know, you're going to go get her a jacket or whatever. So you go down and you buy her something and you bring it home. and She goes, oh, honey, thank you. Oh, it's oh, it's beautiful. Thanks. Do you have the receipt? And she takes it back. See, she doesn't keep it. And that's because you're not a very good student. But I want you to know, if you can get your keep rate above 50%, life is good. I mean, it still hurts your ego when you really labor over that, no, this is the perfect one, and she takes it back. But I want you to know, it's normal. You know, it doesn't fit right, it's not the right color, and it's got a weird zipper, you know, whatever it is. The point is, is that as you're a student of your wife, you begin to figure out what she likes and how you can meet her specific needs and her specific likes. And, you know, your wife may be dying for some flowers in a vase. She, she, she just may be dying for that. And you may not be giving her that. And she just may just, oh, uh, guys, you, you're, you're cutting your own hand off because if you supply those flowers... Life would be good. There's one thing behind every happy husband, and that is a happy wife. I don't care if you're Bill Gates. I don't care if you're the most successful businessman in the world and you just have the perfect job and the perfect car and the perfect house. If your wife's miserable, you're miserable. And so love yourself by loving your wife. That's what we studied last week, right? As your own body. For he who loves his wife loves his own body. Why? Because you're one. You love your wife, you love yourself. Woo! It's great. And the point of all this is that it takes time and effort to be a student of your wife. You have to make sure that you're working to say, okay, now what will my wife like? And don't just assume. Don't just think, oh, yeah, I know this. No, you ask her. Honey, would you rather have this or this? Do you like this or this? Really? And I think you'll be you'll just blown away that, Really? And you'll find out things you never knew because you never asked. You just assumed. And see what happens is, and the shame of it all is there's, there's husbands like I, when I was clueless, you know, here I am. I'm sacrificing to get my wife some flowers. I'm saving to give my wife some flowers because I'm thinking of my wife and I get her the flowers and I sacrifice to do it. And I make the effort. I take the action, miss the bullseye. And this is what causes frustration in marriage because men begin to think their wife is just like them. And so they try and love their wife in a way that they want to be loved. But you need to love your wife in a way that she says she wants to be loved. You get it, guys? Let me beat on you a little bit more. Look at the text. Peter then gives husbands two reasons for living with their wives in an understanding way. First, husbands are to remember they are living with someone weaker. All that means is physically weaker. Wives tend to be physically weaker than husbands. You know, there's very few wives who can beat their husbands in arm wrestling. I did a little research on the Internet and I thought to myself, you know, I wonder what the world record is for a woman in the bench press. Uh, There's a woman and I don't know if she's on steroids or not, but she was able to bench press 292 pounds. 
Now, that's a lot. Most guys can't even come close to that. As a matter of fact, if a man can bench 300 pounds, he's in the 95 percentile, the upper 5% of the strongest men on the face of the planet, if a guy can do 300. And so this woman is like way up there. But then I thought, I wonder what, you know, the world record is for the guy. And I found a guy that bench press 821 pounds. That's 74% or two and a half times stronger than the strongest woman. The point is this. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying, husbands, just remember, your wife is weaker. So don't come home from, you know, the lumber yard and say, honey, could you unpack those sacks of cement? (laughs) Why take a break? Don't ask your wife to do tasks that are beyond her ability. Don't don't put her in places where she has to hurt herself to try and be submissive to you. Remember, she's weaker. That's all not a worse worker. Women tend to be very diligent and have plenty of endurance. And it's not talking about being bad workers. They're just physically they aren't strong enough. And Peter just says, remember that it's important as you seek to. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Secondly, if you look at the text, he gives another reason. Since she is a woman. And, you know, you look at that and you think, yeah, no, duh. Well, I think a lot of husbands are duh about this. A lot of husbands never stop to think about who they're married to. A lot of guys get married. I know this. I've experienced this. I've been in the ministry now for, you know, 20 years, and I've seen this. Guys tend to think, especially young men who are married, that women are men with women's bodies. (laughs) And that women often think at first that men are women with men's bodies. Because they only know what they are. And so they assume the other person is like them, but with a different body. And it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. You remember we learned from Genesis that when God created man, he made them male and female. He created Adam. He made him have needs. It was not good for him to be alone. And then he brought him a woman who was a helper, a counterpart that was suitable for him. That he had needs... And she had needs and they brought them together so they would complement one another. You know, uh, if you remember the old Rocky movie, I'm sure you do. If you don't, you need to go get it. It's just a classic. And in that movie, Rocky is explaining how, why he's going to marry Adrian. And he says, you know, I've got gaps and she's got gaps and together we've got no gaps. And that is good theology. (laughs) That is exactly what I mean. He must have been studying Genesis that day because that is exactly what Genesis teaches. And so if you're a man and you're looking at your wife and you're going, hey, you know, what is going on here? You know, I've been buying you tools and it's just not working. I've been buying you things and it's not working. I've been doing projects around the house and it's not working. She's just going, when are we going to talk? When are we going to have a relationship? And you know, it's not that you're not making an effort. It's not that you're not trying. You're just not hitting the bullseye because you haven't been a student of your wife. 
Men never stops to consider that women are from Venus. Men are from Mars. And when it comes to intimacy and marriage, men are microwaves. Women are crockpots. And if you don't realize the differences between men and women, you, you're constantly going to be frustrated because you may try hard. But if you're trying hard the wrong way, it still doesn't work. So your wife, husbands, is not a man with a woman's body. She's a woman. She thinks like a woman. She has a body like a woman. She is different. Women tend to be more relational than men. They like relationships. They want to talk. They want to talk deep. They want to discuss things. They want to share feelings and ideas. Now, does that sound scary? I know some of the husbands need smelling salts right now. I remember when I was first married, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, you just kept everything in and, you know, bucked up and got over it. And so, you know, here I get married and, and Lisa, you know, says something like, you know, hey, you know, let's talk deep. What? And she was trying to figure out that, I, you know, I wasn't a woman with a man's body. And I was trying to figure out that, you know, she wasn't a man with a woman's body. I'd say, what do you mean? Talk deep. I didn't even know what she was talking about. And she would say, you know. Tell me how you feel. And I'd say, I feel fine. (laughs) I mean, I'm not sick or anything. And some of the husbands right now are thinking to themselves, why did she want to know if he was sick or not? (laughs) Eventually, my wife learned to ask, tell me what you're thinking. It's like, no problem. That is so easy. Feeling? Hmm. I don't do feel. I'm man. You're a woman. Now, have you ever noticed the differences between how department stores sell women's underwear and men's underwear? The guy wants some underwear. He goes in there, finds the package, takes it home. Women, they're all in these under hangers or they're in this big pile. A big old huge bin full of all these strangled underwear and they're all rifling through them. And it's like, what is that? That is an example of a reality. Have you ever, you know, seen the guys out here in the hallway going, hey, you want to go to the bathroom with me? Have you ever seen that? Women do that all the time. It's like, what are they doing there? It's a big social time or whatever. (laughs) Guys go, I'll be back. (laughs) They're different. They're different. She's emotionally different, guys. She's physically different. She has a whole different function, created for a different person, purpose. She's supposed to be a counterpart for you, the opposite of you, not synonymous. And so if you don't realize that, you're going to continually be frustrated. So be a student of your wife. Find out who she is and what she is like. Be a student of her. Now, women, because they're more relational, they figure this out. You don't even need to tell them. She knows what you need. But a lot of guys never figure it out until they come into my office. And sometimes they never figure it out after that. Secondly, husbands, the second thing is honor your wives. Look at the middle of verse 7 where the text says, Gives us our second exhortation and show her honor. 
Now, the word honor means to esteem, respect, to give reverence to, and to honor. It's like, you know, you if you ran into Queen Elizabeth or, you know, the president or somebody really important, you honor, you respect, you, you put on your best behavior, which means, husbands, any disrespect, any mean, biting comments, outbursts of anger, yelling, um, anything that you might ever do that would fit under the category, would not fit under the category of honoring with esteem and respect is nixay. You can't do it or you're sinning. In the same way, husbands are to honor their wives is what the text is saying. In the same way, husbands, honor your wives. Submit to God by honoring your wife. So husbands, do you honor your wives? Do you, you know, do things like open the car door, get her coffee in the morning, you know, do dishes, uh, you know, when the groceries have to come in, do you say, oh, honey, you just sit down here. I'll bring them in and, you know, you can put them away. I, I mean, are you showing honor towards her since she is your queen? You know, you did swear that nourish and cherish and better and for worth, you know, until death do you part? Were you just faking it? Well, that's exactly what God wants you to do. Those vows come directly from Scripture. You need to show the world that your wife is the queen of your life. And one of the big lessons I learned about this was in seminary when I was teaching a class. I was I'd only been married three years in seminary, and there was this guy who um, was in the class, and he was grumpy. Uh, he he kind of had his arms crossed and was looking at me all mean all the time. And I thought, God, what's this guy's problem? Well, I'll tell you what his problem was. I, I was a young buck. I'd only been married three years. And here I was telling him how to be a good husband. And he didn't like it. He didn't like it for two reasons. One, because I was young. And two, because he wasn't a good husband. And so he was convicted. And so he got angry at me. But I just kept teaching. And one of the things which he didn't like is whenever I'd come to study... I'd open the door for my wife and he'd see that and that eked him because he wasn't. And so he would tell his wife, oh, look at Mr. Chivalrous. Yeah, I must have had a fight and he's trying to be nice to her. He says, let's see how long this lasts. Well, after six months of watching me, he, he, he told me later because he had us over to his house. He says, I, I came early every Sunday just to see if you'd do this. And he says, and he says, after church, I'd go and I'd get to a place where I could watch you just to see if you'd do it. And he says, and after six months, I just realized the guy just loves his wife. And he, he brought us over because, you know what? I was just mad at you because I was mad because you were making me look bad in front of my wife. Because you were saying, oh, this is what a husband is and this is what a husband is. And, and I, I was mad at you because I wasn't obeying God. But I want you to know, I'm opening the door for my wife now and I'm going to honor my wife and I'm going to love my wife. And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm, and I'm telling you, their marriage just turned around. And the wife came and, you know, thanked me a thousand times. Oh, my husband's doing so great. You know, it's like, oh, it's just, he's a different man. And uh, it was great. But the whole point is this. People are watching you. When, you know, you may come home and, you know, you may think it's 10 o'clock at night and nobody's around. Your neighborhood's in bed and you're thinking to yourself, you know, no one's around. Get your own door, honey. <laughs> but you know what? There might be the Mrs. Kravitz across the street. 
she's looking through there seeing, I wonder if he's going to do it this time, George, you know, and they're watching, they're watching. And your whole marriage, remember, we learned from last week is to be a witness to the world of how Christ loved the church. And what this means is, is when they look at your marriage, guys, they are to see how Christ loves the church. And you're responsible to make sure they see that. And that you don't bring reproach upon Christ because of the ungodly behavior you have towards your wife. Now, Peter continues. He continues by saying, also, now we we get to a little scary part here. He says, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And you're thinking, okay, I'm to honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, whatever that means. You know, and I thought the same thing when I was studying the passage. What does that mean? A fellow heir of the grace of life. What is the grace of life? Well, I know what an heir is. An heir is somebody who is legally entitled to receive something. Okay, heir. All right. A joint heir is what the text means or fellow heir or heirs together with. Okay, so I understand that they both have some sort of legal right to something. And it's called the grace of life. And so I thought, huh, I wonder if that's talking about salvation or equality and salvation. So these, these are the different uh, interpretations I run into. It, somebody said that it was the future inheritance both will receive because they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And you can see how somebody might get that because the word heir implies an inheritance, doesn't it? And then secondly, someone else said, no, the grace of life are children produced by the husband and wife relationship. Well, it's true. Children are produced by the husband and wife relationship. Three, somebody else said, no, it's equality and salvation. They're joint heirs in the grace of God that saves you. And so husband and wife are both saved equally. And so, you know, that's what it's talking about. Another person said, no, no, no. It's the joys and blessings of Christian marriage when there's a Christian man and a Christian woman that are both married together. And then there was a fifth interpretation, which I think is the best one. And I'll explain why in a second. Is that it refers to the joys and blessings of being married, regardless if you're a Christian or not. You see, whenever you have this many interpretations, there's one thing that's clear. The text isn't. Okay? So you have to go back to the basics. And you have to ask yourself, okay, the king of all Bible study principles is context. See, those people came to Sunday night. Context is king. So you say, okay, what does the context tell me? Well, we know from verses one through six is talking about wives in the context of marriage. Um, and so it's talking about marriage. We know that seven is talking about marriage. And so we know that it has to do something with the marriage relationship. Okay, we got that. And then we ask ourselves, okay, um, do you think that it's talking about, uh, you know, both having equality and eternal life. Well, certainly the scriptures teach that, you know, Galatians three twenty eight. there's neither male nor female in Christ that all are saved and have the same blessings. Yeah. But the problem is, is the text doesn't say the grace of eternal life. It just says grace of life as if it's speaking of this life. Mm. So that one might work, but 
Probably not because he didn't say the grace of eternal life or the grace of salvation. It's the grace of life, a, a unique term to this text. And then, you know, you're saying, well, maybe he's talking about children. Maybe he's talking about children. Well, you know, children do come from marriage relationships, but it, they're never really mentioned here. So that's not a very good one. Uh, you know, you could say, well, maybe he's referring to the joys of marriage between a believing husband and wife. And you know what? Believing husbands and wives can have joy. They can have misery if they don't obey God, but they can have joy. And so definitely that would be included. But I think the best thing is that the grace of life is to understand is the gift of marriage. Because that's what the context is talking about. Marriage. So when he says, remember, she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. It means this, husbands, don't miss it. Husbands, you need to remember that God intends your wife to enjoy and have pleasure from the marriage relationship. It's not about you only. It's about you and her. And as the head, as the one who's responsible, it's your job as a husband to make sure that your wife has joy, pleasure and happiness in the context of God's gracious gift called marriage. And of course, it would apply to Christians. It would apply to anyone because unbelievers are able to enjoy marriage also, aren't they? You bet. So husbands who fail to be students of their wives, who fail to honor their wives, who fail to love their wives as Christ loved the church, are dishonoring them. They're robbing from them. They're stealing from them the grace of life, what God intended for them to have, which the husband is responsible to make sure they do. And you might say, well, you know, what if I don't do that? There's some serious consequences. And that's our last point. Husbands, you need to fear the consequence of not loving your wife. Notice he ends this verse with this warning so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, that is interesting. Husbands, you don't honor your wife. You don't live with them in an understanding way. Your prayers are hindered. Now, the word hindered in the Greek means to chop down, cut down, or hew down. It was used of people felling trees. In other words, husbands, you aren't loving your wife. I don't care what you're praying for. Your prayers go up and like a dove, and all of a sudden, the falcon comes and rips them apart, and they fall to the earth. They're like lead that sink to hell instead of Balloons that fly upward, they don't go up. In other words, God cuts them down in mid-flight because he does not want to hear the prayers of the wicked. He doesn't want to hear anything about it. Don't go praying to me until you love your wife. And I began to think about this and I began to think, you know, how many husbands through the ages have prayed Prayed noble prayers, good prayers, asked for godly things, and yet their prayers never even left the ground because they weren't loving their wife. And then when you look at the context a little bit more, look at verse 8 of chapter 3. You get to the last section of road here. And he says to sum up, now, he's talked about governing authorities. He's talking about slaves and masters. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about wives. He's talking about husbands. To sum up, all of you, 
All of you what? Be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, which is exactly what he talked about in Christ at the end of two. But giving a blessing instead, for you were created for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You give a blessing because you were created to inherit a blessing. For, verse 10, and this is radical, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. Now here we see, okay, notice he starts off this section by saying you need to be kind hearted. He says, make sure your heart's right. Then he goes on to talk about the tongue. Uh, He talks about make sure you are speaking right. Then look at verse 11. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. He then talks about obeying right, having godly behavior. And he says, after all of this, what if we don't? Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And if you look in Psalm 34, where this comes from, he adds to cut off the memory of them from the face of the earth, which Peter left off. I'm telling you guys, that is a bad thing. You do not. I mean, it's one thing to have your your prayers just bounce off the ceiling. It's quite another thing to have God be against you, against you. To make your life a living hell, to make sure you don't prosper, to make sure you suffer, to make sure you're miserable, to make sure that he just brings agony and misery into your life until you confess your sins and start loving your wife. And that's what this text teaches. And believe me, the scriptures make it clear. God disciplines every son who's his If you know Jesus Christ and he's your savior and you're a husband and you aren't loving your wife, the paddle comes down. It comes down in the form of sickness. Sometimes it comes down in the form of financial trials. It comes down in the form of relationship trials. It comes down in all sorts of way, car problems, whatever. I mean, he can just squeeze the life out of you. He's against you. And man, that is not a good thing. And what's amazing is, is husbands submit themselves to God and take God on. And of course, they always lose because they don't want to have the happiness and the peace and the joy and the contentment and the wonder of marriage, which can be had by merely submitting to God's plan for their life. To me, it's insanity. I can't understand it. Husbands. Your blood is not on my head. I leave you here today reminding you that you need to live with your wife in an understanding way. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman and you are to grant her honor since she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. And I tell you, if you don't do it, Your prayers, I don't care when you pray or what you pray for, God goes, la, la, la. And he will be against you. 
And so what we need to do as we leave here today, husbands, is we need to search our heart and we need to ask ourselves, am I loving my wife like I'm supposed to? And if I'm not, then you confess it to God. You have all the forgiveness you need in Christ if you know Christ. If you don't know Christ, then that's a whole nother problem. And you start loving your wife and you will discover that when you love your wife, you love yourself because a happy wife makes a happy husband. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text as it is so clear and there's so much here in this one verse. Father, what amazing truth is in your word. And Father, we marvel that even though the world accuses Christians of being oppressive to women and mean and overbearing and they hate the whole concept of submission, we have seen here that there is nothing to fear. For God has called husbands to love and cherish and honor and nurture and live with their wives in an understanding way and grant them honor and treat them as a weaker vessel. And Father, do all of these things which don't have the hint of oppression or meanness or unkindness in any way. Father, I pray for each husband here and each husband to be. Father, these truths would be ingrained in their hearts and they would never forget them that they would become students of their wives, honor their wives so that their wives can enjoy the grace of life, which is dependent on their obedience to you. And we just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.